I want to present to you tonight a case, if I could, about mercy in the middle of a miracle. Mercy in the middle of a miracle, okay? So let's read this verse together, 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse number 6, and we'll just read it as one voice if we could. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots, and the noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Now, they were not speaking. Uh, they were not speaking in this moment of God Almighty, but they really didn't realize how true their statement was when they said the king of Israel has appointed. Because of a truth, it was the king of Israel that had appointed the armies to come. This army that has walked upon them, now their, their understanding of it, of course, uh, as, as we just read, was that it was uh, the kings of the Hittites and the Egyptians. It was the Hittite army and the Egyptian army that was coming against them. You and I both know this was not the Hittites nor the Egyptians. But it is an army that has been very present for the last couple of chapters preceding this. It is an army of the host of heaven. Now I'm going to back you up if I can just a little bit. Uh, as, as we come out of uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, and again, please just give me a little bit of runway tonight. I, I want to share my heart with you. As we come out of 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman was a mighty man in the Syrian army, and he was a leper. And Naaman has been cleansed. He came to the prophet Elisha, and uh, it was not the water of the Jordan that cleansed him. It was his obedience in the Jordan River that cleansed him. I think sometimes we miss the supernatural working that's transpiring because of things that we see. As a matter of fact, Naaman was so frustrated when he came to the prophet Elisha and the servant came out to talk to him. He was like, this is not King James, but this is basically what he was saying. He's like, are you kidding me? Do you know who I am? I came all of this way. I'm a mighty man. I came all this way, and the prophet won't even come out and greet me himself. And the only answer that he has for me in my predicament, my trouble, my sickness, is for me to go to the Jordan River and to dip seven times, and that's the answer. How much sense does that make? Well, let me ask you this. How much sense does it make for us to be whoremongers and adulterers and alcoholics and drug addicts and messed up people, but... We go to a watery grave of baptism. It's just a fiberglass pool with H2O in it. But when you go underneath that water and there's a name invoked over you, I'm telling you what you cannot see is the supernatural work that's being done. You're not just going down in water, Naaman. When you go down in that water seven times, there is a host of things that are transpiring in the world around you that you cannot see. It's the work that's happening in the invisible world that is making an impact in your world right now. And so it's a very powerful story. I've preached it uh, many times in my life. As a matter of fact, it was that, that very chapter that uh, Brother Shepherd four years ago or so tried to preach 18 times and never got to the end of the story. He preached your two feet from a miracle. 
and we're still two feet from the end of the sermon. But I've preached that, I've preached that sermon all my life. It gives all of the powerful things that Naaman had done. Uh, that he was a mighty man, he was a trusted man, he was a very, very powerful man. Then the scripture said, but he was a leper. He was identified by what was wrong with him. The Lord fixed that, took care of that by the word of the prophet. And then there is this interesting figure by the name of Gehazi. Now, we've all heard the story about Elisha receiving the double portion as, uh, as the son to the prophet Elijah. He asks the Lord for the double portion, and certainly Elisha receives that double portion. But there, there was a servant that followed him by the name of Gehazi, who by all rights, in my opinion, Gehazi should have received a double portion from Elisha. Which if you consider this, if Elijah gets a double portion of Elijah, then that means Gehazi should get a double portion of Elisha, which would be four times what Elijah had. This is the power of generational prophecy and power and supernatural gifts the way this works in other words the church ought to be getting stronger and stronger not weaker and weaker but it's right here in this pivotal moment in the fifth chapter as Naaman is healed Naaman's a rich man he's a wealthy man so he comes to Elisha and he says hey let me pay you for this and Elisha says well it's not me that did the work the glory goes to God and that ought to be the way it is if there are signs and wonders in our church, the signs ought to point to him. Amen. amen. Somebody shout amen. amen. Any good thing God does in this church is not because of me. It's because of who he is. Amen. It's, be, it's because of who God is. There's never been anybody healed in this church because I'm your pastor. They've been healed because God is God. Amen. And Elisha knew that. that the power was not in him. Of course, he was being used of God. And so as, as he leaves and he's going back, Elisha told him, said, Naaman, go. He said, just be blessed of God, go. He has healed you. And so as he leaves, Elisha's servant Gehazi runs after Naaman. And he says, hey, the prophet of the Lord has sent me to you. And basically he has changed his mind. He told you a few minutes ago, I know, I know that he told you he wanted nothing for the miraculous. But... There are some things that he would require. As a matter of fact, Elisha told Gehazi there were eight different things that he stole. He said, you stole these things, Gehazi. Eight things you have stolen from Naaman. It was not of God for you to go to Naaman and to receive compensation for the things that God had done. And he said, because of this. Now, this is so scary to me. Hopefully you can read through the lines here. I'm trying to stay in the shallow end of the pool. But here is where this is interesting. He said, because you have received payment for what God took off of Naaman. He said, God is going to put on you what he took off of Naaman and on your children. And you too will be a leper for the rest of your life. It was the sin of greed. That caused Gehazi to become a leper for the rest of his life. Now folks, I don't have time to stay here and I don't have time to go deep. But let me teach to you some sound doctrine tonight. Whenever men start getting in the middle of what God is doing. It is one of the most dangerous places in the world to be. Because the things that God is delivering other people of 
you're going to come under the weight of that because you are trying to receive compensation for doing what only God can do. Now, I, I could preach this for a little while, but you listen to what I'm telling you right now. God doesn't put up with proud and arrogant spirits in the end time church. God is not going to receive glory from men who are trying to take the glory for what they're doing. I'm not here to be ugly tonight, but I want to tell you something. That if if somebody has to tell everybody they're a prophet, they're probably not a prophet. If they've got to put prophet on their Facebook page to let you know they're a prophet, they're probably not a prophet. If they have to let you know they are an apostle, they are more than likely not an apostle. Because when God calls and God ordains and God anoints, God will do the compensating and it will be obvious that the hand of God is on them. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying beware of false prophets in the last day. Why? Because in Luke 24, the Lord said beware of false prophets lest they would deceive you. Listen to what I'm telling you tonight. I want to slow down and be sure that you get this in your spirit and it just it just saturates your mind tonight. Listen to what Pastor's telling you. It is late in the midnight hour. It is late in the game. And the coming of the Lord is imminent. I believe that the coming of the Lord is so close I can hear the sounds of the horse feet as they're headed this direction from the heavens. I believe that we are close. But the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more confusion there's going to be in the earth. And that confusion is going to be masked in the prophetic. So what are we going to do then, Pastor? Well, we're certainly not going to shut down the authentic because there's a counterfeit. I say this with all due respect, but in my lifetime, I've seen the prophetic shut down because of the, uh, because, uh, of the counterfeit. And they say, well, it's going to be hard for us to tell. Whatever happened to trying the spirits and seeing if they be of God or not? And so we completely shut down the prophetic and the gifts of the Spirit because we can't manipulate them and we can't control them. And that's a dangerous place to be too. So what I believe that's going to happen if John the Baptist was a type and a shadow and a beautiful picture of the forerunner of the coming of the Christ the first time, I believe what we see is after 400 years, what the children of Israel were not lacking was law and direction and how to be faithful to God, but they were lacking seers. There was no prophetic word. And when John the Baptist comes on the scene, he is telling them to repent and prepare the way. What was he doing? He was prophesying. It was the prophetic ministry of John the Baptist that prepared the way for the coming of the Lord. And I believe in the end time church, there's going to be a prophetic anointing that's released like we have never seen before. And God is going to be the one that identifies it. We're not going to have to put it on our Twitter and on our Facebook and on our Instagram. I'm saying, Lord, let the prophets live. not going to shut it down before the coming of the Lord. What are we going to do? Are you sure you're ready? We're going to label the false prophet a false prophet. 
we're going to let the true men of God be ordained of the Holy Ghost and let God reveal. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is a, this is a very careful a gray area we've got to be careful about as well. Because where the gifts of the Spirit are, we understand that God's promises come with provisions. I know people don't like that, but it's true. It doesn't make a man a false prophet just because something he said didn't come to pass. Well, then what, what is it, Pastor? I'm fixing to mess your world up right here. I want to tell you some of the things that men have prophesied have not come to pass because the other people that were receiving the word did not keep their end of the bargain. Oh, Pastor, if they're a false prophet, we ought to label them. Well, you better be awful careful just label them because it didn't come to pass or you're going to have to rip Jonah out of the Bible. You realize not one word that Jonah prophesied over Nineveh came to pass? Not one word. Was he a false prophet? No, he heard from God. And it was the prophetic word from God that caused the king uh, to turn his heart and say, "We be- Listen, it was not Jonah that called for repentance at Nineveh. It was the king of Nineveh that called for repentance because a prophetic word livened up the heart of the wicked and the wicked said that's too real and too powerful for us to receive that. God, if you'll have mercy on us, we'll repent. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that the authentic prophetic gifts of God will always initiate repentance in a nation. Oh, my, my. The prophetic does not breed arrogance. It breeds repentance. It brings to pass repentance. We have ideas of what prophets look like, what they sound like, and most of the time, these are prophets that speak the things we like to hear. There's not one Old Testament prophet that I've ever read about in the scripture that walked up to somebody and said, Thus saith the Lord, you're about to get a new house, you're about to get a new car, you're about to get a new this. No, no, no. That's not what it was about. Matter of fact, most of those prophetic, uh, in your minor, major or minor prophets, they're speaking to nations, not just to individuals. Now, there were times they spoke to individuals, of course. Uh, Samuel speaking to Saul, speaking to David, Nathan speaking to David. I understand that. But on a general consensus as the uh, exception and not the rule, this is what happens. They're speaking on behalf of a nation from God to the people saying, repent because prophetic ministries in important times are going to, uh, they're going to bring on spirits of repentance in the hearts of people. Why? Because the entire purpose of the kingdom of God is to draw us closer to him. Those that have turned their back, I know this is simple preaching, but I got to get it to you tonight. God is calling us to repentance. Somebody say repentance. Repentance, repentance, repentance. John Baptist preached for three and a half years and never had anything better to say than repent because he's coming. Think about that. Spends three and a half years in the wilderness and comes out of the wilderness preparing his heart to preach. And he said, repent! Man, I think if I had three and a half years to preach one sermon, prepare for one sermon, I could, I could come up with something. I, I'm astounded. He never even gave a good title. I don't know how in the world John preached without, uh, without multimedia. Like, he didn't even have a cool slide or nothing. He just said, repent. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
the power of the gifts of God are to bring men to repentance. This is, the, this is as shallow as I can say it. I'm not, I don't have time to go off into the deep end of things, but I'm saying this to you for a reason tonight. I want to lay this groundwork and get it in your heart. When God is speaking through prophets, he's moving things closer to him. He is not necessarily moving things closer to the prophet. Boy, that, that, I hope that didn't fall on deaf ears. He's not moving people to the heart of a man to say, wow, this guy is powerful. He's bringing men together that will say, if there be any sign, let it point to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's him that receives all the honor and the glory and the power. So it's easy to start manipulating the things of God. When there is a supernatural work that is done, if we're not careful, it's going to be about the people that are doing the preaching, the people that are doing the healing, the people that are setting people free. Well, they didn't set nobody free. It was the power of God that was working through them. So we've got to be very careful and guard our hearts. Why? Because the things that have been lifted off of others. Do we have biblical precedent for that? you start taking the glory and being compensated for that, then you're going to get what God took off of Naaman. This is a tough place for Gehazi to be. And what was it all about? It was all about greed. Now, I don't want y'all sleeping on me tonight. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get somewhere, and the Lord's going to help us. So, Gehazi is now in an interesting place. Gehazi is, is frustrated. There's some other things that I could... I could talk to you about, about him, uh, Elisha sending his staff with him to heal uh, the, the, the woman's son. There, there's some powerful things in there about Gehazi that I really don't have time to hit on tonight because of where I'm going. But you can study about him. And so ultimately what happens is Naaman goes back to Syria and uh, Gehazi is now uh, full of, of leprosy. It's not what we would think of as modern leprosy. As a matter of fact, the kind of leprosy that you and I think of now did not even exist during that time it's very uh, interesting the wording of that in the Hebrew but it's a, it's a skin disease and so he's got it and and he's stuck with it and, and specifically his children are going to have it his sons are going to have it as well and so now that spirit is gone he's dismissed away from them uh, Leviticus says that those that are lepers are going to have to be in the gate of the city they have to stay outside they can't come in now, I want you to notice what happens here in verse 6 as we come in to uh, chapter 6 and verse 1. This is very interesting how some commentators look at this. So 2 Kings uh, chapter 6 and verse number 1, it said, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. The spirit of Gehazi has been removed, this greedy spirit has been removed from the prophetic ministry of Elisha. And he's now on the outskirts of town. And all of a sudden, this school of the prophets, if you were, has grown and grown and grown. Whenever we get rid of those sour spirits, God will allow people to pour in that we can pour in too. And they say, look, man, this place is getting tight. 
up in here. So what can we do? Is there any way we could expand our territory and move out just a little bit and build us a little bit bigger of a place that we can dwell? And Elisha said, absolutely, let's go. Let's do it. And so they, they come out to the river, and they're chopping down uh, big trees, and they're getting them ready. You know, they're going to make a, a beautiful log cabin for the... Uh, for the school of the prophets or uh, whatever, how you ever you want to paint the picture. I like log cabins, all right? So they're building this log cabin. They're getting it ready. And this one old boy, man, he's over there toiling. And he's, man, he's chopping with all he's got with that axe, giving it the best he's got. When all of a sudden, this tree that he's cutting down there next to the river, something happens and the, the iron axe head flies off the end of his axe handle and falls into the water. And Elisha walks up and he says, well, what seems to be the problem, big man? He said, uh, sir, he said, uh, I, I, I don't know what to do. He said, this axe head that I have allowed to fall into the water, he said, it, it doesn't belong to me. I borrowed it. And I don't have the, fun, the finances to repay. I, I, I don't know what to do. I borrowed this from a man and I cannot replace it. And so here's kind of the picture you get. So Elisha walks over and he grabs a, a, a good-sized stick off of this, maybe the same tree that he's cutting down. He grabs a stick, which is, I wish I had time to go into that. And he throws it into the water. He said, Where, where'd it go? And he, right here. He said, right here? Yeah, right here. And he throws it in the water, and the axe head goes, boom. Rises to the top of the water. He said, Take it, son. He picked it up and he handed it to him. He takes the axe head. Just a neat little miracle in the middle of all this. God's expanding territory. The, the sons of the prophets are hungry. Great things are happening. And there's a little bit of a delay in the progress. And the Lord said, that, that, that's no thing for me. I can trust Elisha. Let's get this up out of here. Listen, we don't, ever, we don't ever need to stop giving God praise for the small victories. Not every miracle has to be the walls of Jericho crashing down. Not every miracle has to be a Red Sea getting parted. Sometimes there are just short delays in the progress of the kingdom of God. And we need to be able to stop and rejoice and say, Lord, it may not have been a big deal to somebody else, but it's a big deal to me, and I give you praise for it. It's a small thing, but, but, but he's worthy of the praise. He's worthy of the honor, he's worthy of the glory. And we want to be sure, Elisha, that it's got, listen, there's so many things I wish I had time to teach you. Why didn't Elisha just, why didn't Elisha just reach his hand down and say, come on, get, come on, Axe get up here. Why didn't he do it? Took a stick. He threw it in the water. Because he's always guarding his spirit. He's dealt with Gehazi. He's like, this is not going to be done by my hands. This is something God created. I'm going to throw it in, it's going to happen. God better be getting the glory for these miracles. I can't say that enough tonight. I, I, I want to be so careful. I, I, I've been in conversations for the last several years with men and discussing church growth and, and the way that things are supposed, supposed to work in our minds. You know, all, all this we've got. And, uh, oh, I want to be careful how I say this. Y'all give me permission to just... Just say it. I want to tell you that what so many of us regard as church growth and kingdom growth has a narcissistic motive. 
Should I do part two and come back later? Was that too much? It's all about like, man, look what he did. Look at the church he built. Look at what. And, and I get the context. I understand. When I say I'm going to preach for somebody, I'll say I'm going to preach at their church. I understand because they're the angel of that church. They're the, they're the pastor. But listen, I, I want to be crystal clear. This is not Luke St. Clair's church. This is God's church. I've been blessed to be the under-shepherd of this church. But I don't want this church to be built on my personality. This is about the kingdom of God being activated in you and I. And you and I doing what Jesus said we were going to do. He didn't say these signs shall pastors do. He said greater works than these shall you do. I believe the way God wants us to grow and God wants us to expand sometimes makes us uncomfortable because God is wanting some of us to do what we've been waiting on pastor to get done. Why are we doing Bible study training? Oh, yeah, so we can fill up the seats. No! I told you that a few weeks ago in Bible study training, that the point of teaching Bible studies is not church growth. It is making disciples. And I don't care if they come to this church. As long as they're going to an apostolic church that's teaching truth, let it be. I don't care if I teach them and they move off to Alaska and go to another church. I want to make disciples in the earth. It's not about how full these pews are. It's about how full heaven is. Man, we, 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 we build these teams around people and it's like, oh, it's unbelievable. It's like. We get all of this momentum going, and then we get selfish with God. Somebody says, the Lord's called me to be a missionary. <laughs> like, you're a missionary to this church. God, may we never be selfish. Here, here's, here's the problem, and, and, and again, I'm trying to be so very careful. But when churches are built on personalities and on people, I've seen those personalities and people stumble and fall. And I hope to God I don't. I, I really do. I hope to God I never leave a mark on his kingdom. And I never leave a mark on this church. And I never leave a mark on my family. I'm, I make you a promise that as your pastor, I do my best to live for God every day of my life. And I don't ever want to leave a mark. But I'm telling you, we cannot afford in this hour for the kingdom of God to be built on the names of men. There's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. breaks my heart because people build relationships with, with men and not relationships with God. And it's a biblical precedent. I've preached it and taught it in this church for years. But that was Lot's problem and his family's problem is that Lot had a relationship with Abraham. Abraham had a relationship with God. And when it came time for Lot to stand up and be righteous, he didn't know how because Uncle Abe wasn't around. And should you ever be in a place, and Lord, we, we were as close as we've ever been uh, last year to a place where you don't have access to your shepherd. Are you going to be able to stand then? What, what, what are we going to do then? What's going to happen then? And I'm not giving in to fear mongers and all this stuff. You know, let them say whatever they want to. 
But I'm just telling you, we haven't seen the end of the attacks, and we haven't seen the end of the fight, and we haven't seen, we're in the middle of a war right now, and the global war, this stuff's, I mean, man, this is crazy, all this stuff's going on, and we don't see bombs and guns going off, so we don't think it's happening. No, we're in a war. We're in a war. We're right in the middle of it. And one of these days, the war's going to be over. When the commander says it's time, it's over. But we got to learn how to be faithful until it's over. My God. So, I'm moving quickly. I got to get to where I'm going. And so, Naaman goes back to Syria. Gehazi's in sin. The kingdom of God's expanding. The axe head falls in the water. God raises it up, brings it out. And then... Syria declares war against Israel. Now, this is, I, I really want you to be able to follow this story with me. This is so crazy to me. Syria, in, uh, in chapter 6 and verse number uh, 8, the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such place shall be my camp. Now, I'm going to give you the fast-forward version. He said, I'm going to go make an encampment, and we're going to destroy Israel. This is how we're going to do it. And so Elisha goes to the king of Israel and says to him, I just want you to know that the king of Syria is set up in such and such place. How did he know? The Lord told him. Because when the prophet's heart is right, the Lord doesn't withhold things from his prophet. He speaks this to the prophet. He goes to the king and he said, this is where they're camped up. He said, not once but twice. He went very carefully there. The king went there very carefully. No harm. Nothing happened. Because he knew where the enemy was. God, I wish I had time to preach this right here. The plan of God for us in the end time church is to be mindful and aware of what the enemy's doing before he ever strikes. We ought not have to be saving apostolic marriages. They ought to be guarded. They ought to be guarded. I said they ought to be guarded. We need to know what tree the enemy's hiding behind. And so it frustrated the king, and he, 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 he talks to his men, and he said, there's a mole in here. Somebody's leaking this information. He said, who is it in my chambers that is leaking information and telling Israel where we're at? Who's, who is this telling Israel? And his boy speaks up to him, and he says, uh, oh, king, he said, here's what you need to know. He said, it is actually Elisha the prophet. And he said, as a matter of fact, he knows everything you've been saying in your bedchambers because God told him. Isn't that something? You can read the story for yourself. I'm not lying to you. He said, how in the world? I, I was just praying this today. I was praying this today. God, I want the enemy to be so frustrated because everything he tries to do Lord, God, I wish I had time. Everything he tries to do, we've already cut him off at the pass. I want the enemy to be looking at FPC saying, how did they know? How, did, how in the world did they know? I, I've tried everything I know to destroy them. And every time I get there, it's like they just know what's going on. Because if God be for us, who can be?
who can be against us? Woo! I need, I, need, I, need, I need somebody walking through here like they do at ball games with peanuts. I need somebody walking through here with Red Bull tonight. We got some sleepy folks up in here tonight. Red Bull, get your Red Bull. And so he said, look, here, here, here's what's going to happen. He said, I, I'm going to send my mighty men down that way. And uh, I'm going to kill this joker. I don't like him. I'm going I'm to kill him. And so uh, they come out one morning, and in the middle of the night, the Syrian army is gathered around him, surrounded him, completely surrounded him. And Elisha's got a new servant hanging around. We know it for sure it's not Gehazi because Gehazi's already got leprosy. He's on the outskirts of the town. Elisha looks up, and, and, and his, his, his servant's shaking. He's one of, one of the sons of the prophets. He's, he's over, he's shaking, he's frustrated. He's, oh, my goodness. He said, what's wrong with you, son? He said, oh. He said, uh, look up there. Yeah, yeah, I see that. He said, uh, he said um, that, that, that's a lot of horses and chariots. Verse 14, he said, and King James said, how shall we do? In the Luke St. Clair version, he's like, what in the world are we going to do? I mean, have, 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 have you seen this? Have, have, have you seen this? And verse 16 is one of the most powerful verses. And I know it's, it's in the context of this story, but I feel it in the Holy Ghost tonight that it needs to resound to the church of the living God right now as loud as it's ever resounded. Verse 16 he said to him, fear not. They that be with us are more than they that be with them. And then he said, Lord, open up his eyes and let him see. Is there anybody here tonight that would say, Lord, I want to see more. I want to see more. God if they that are with us are more, let me see more. Open my eyes. Let me see more. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Who do you think were on them horses and chariots? Are you wondering yet who it was that the Syrian army heard? When they were encamped around about Samaria and they thought it was the Hittites and the Egyptians, it's the very next chapter. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying it starts getting really dark right here. After this, they surround Samaria. We hear it coming. We, 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 we understand. But listen, here's, here's what i got to get to you tonight. These angels of the Lord that encamped around about Elisha and his servant, they were encamping around about the city. And that were the footprints that they heard when they believed that the Egyptians were coming. But listen to Pastor. There was a season after this moment that their presence were not felt or heard or understood. And they had to go through a terrible season of darkness. How bad? Bad. As bad as anything you've ever seen in your life. I'm telling you, we have never, ever, ever, we have never, and I pray to God we never see anything like what, what they saw at Samaria th at this time, ever. How bad was it, Pastor? It was so bad. Here, let, let me paint the picture for you. They got the city. So the Syrians surround the outside of the city. And they block all of the gates. 
to where no food can come in. So when they run out of food, they're out of food. Syrians are out here on the outside. They're eating all they want. Why? Because they blocked the way. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I want you to listen to your pastor right now. Everybody got your hearing aid turned up? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now. The enemy had stopped their food supply from coming to them. We're seeing it in our nation right now. I watched this weekend the interview, and if it makes you mad, put your big boy pants on. The deputy secretary of the Treasury Department, he said they were interviewing about all these shortages. So what's up with the shortages? What's up with this hundred ships out here? He said there will continue to be shortages until every American gets vaccinated. What are you saying? I'm saying it's intentional. It's intentional. This is not an accident. They've made it clear now. They're not hiding anything from anybody. There's an agenda in the earth. You will comply or you'll wish you would. Surrounded them. What they do, they lost heart. They lost heart. Read it for yourself. Now, there's some historical discrepancies as to what it means when it says that they were eating dove's dung. Some say it was a certain vegetable that, that, that paupers and poor people ate. There are other people, especially in, in rich history, that literally believe where the doves were defecating. These people were so hungry, they were saying, God, let there be a seed in it. And they're eating, they're eating the waste of, of doves. I, I don't know. I wasn't there, but it was bad. It was worse than that. Because what, what really shifts the heart and the anger of the king is when this woman comes up to the wall and he's walking on the wall and he says, she says, hey, I need you to help me. And then he gets smart with her. He said, what, you want me to help you out the threshing floor, the wine press? Like he's being smart with her. You think I got more seed than you do? You think I, I've got a stash of wine hid somewhere that I can help you? She said, no, it's not about the wine right now. She said, it's me and this lady. We made a deal. She said, we made a deal. It's always children that end up suffering in this time. You hear me? It's a spirit. She said, we made a deal. And we said that we, that, that we would boil my son yesterday and eat him. Listen, these people are eating their own children. She said, we made a deal that yesterday we would boil my son and eat him. And when we got up this morning to eat her son, she hath hid her son. And the scripture said that the king rent his garments. And when he did, the people saw that he had sackcloth against his flesh underneath his kingly garments. They knew that the king was in mourning because it was in a place. And I hope to God you catch what I'm saying right now. It was beyond his control. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right here trying to help somebody. I'm preaching to you prophetically about where we are right now. It was beyond his control. He was angered. He was so mad. He said, this is Elisha's fault. What happens? What happens? What happens is that the king now starts blaming the prophetic. Starts blaming the man of God. Listen to what I'm telling you. The spirit of this age hates the church. We don't just say that to be foolish. They hate the church. And the reason they hate the church is because there's not things that said in your bedchamber or anybody else's. It's not heard. You listen to pastor when I tell you, God knows what's going on in China. God knows what's going on in Afghanistan. 
God knows what's going on in D.C. He, there's nothing hidden from him. God knows all of that. And when the kings of the earth get frustrated, they say it's God's fault. And so now, he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. He said, we're going to kill Elisha. And he got his servant. Read the story. I'm giving you fast forward. He said, I'm going to kill that man. And he said, you're going to do it, and I'm going to follow you down there and watch you do it. And he comes down to the house of Elisha. And just before they get to the door, the, 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 the servant of the king, he stops and he said, well, you know, he said, honestly, O king, if I may, he said, if it's God that's in control of this thing and we kill his servant, we're going to die here anyway. It's a, it's a spirit of revelation that's going to hit people at the last second. And I'm prophesying this in the Holy Ghost. I believe that before they start knocking on some of our doors, there's going to be a spirit of revelation that's going to come to them. And they're going to say, if it was God's fault and we start doing this right now, we're sealing our own fate. I'm telling you, I still believe that there will be people of great power in this nation converted to this truth. I believe that. They're going to be converted by the power of the Holy Ghost. It's going to be Saul's that meant to do harm to God's children. And God's going to convert them to do great things because they have high power and influence. And the king said, you know, you may be right. And when Elisha saw that they weren't going to kill him, he stepped out on the front porch and he said, by this time tomorrow, by this time tomorrow, he said, all of the food that we need, you'll be able to afford. And the guy that we thought had the revelation opened up his crazy mouth and he said, if God opened up heaven and started raining down seeds out of heaven, it still wouldn't be that cheap. He said, well, let me tell you something, big boy. He said, you're going to live long enough to see God perform the miracle. He said, but you won't live long enough to partake of it. He said, you're going to see God do it. And God's going to prove to you his power. But you're not going to partake of it. And I want you to know that as the sun went down, Elisha laid his head down to rest. And he said, I'm standing on the word of God. That by this time tomorrow, well, during all of this time, there are four lepers that are at the gate of the city. And they, 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 they make this statement. Now, the reason why I started in chapter 5 is for the context to understand. I want to tell you that tradition will tell you. It doesn't list it in the seventh chapter, but tradition will tell you it is very highly believed that these lepers are Gehazi and his three sons. Because it's in the context. Gehazi is removed in the fifth chapter. He's, he's pushed away. The sixth chapter, the work of God continues on. Where did Gehazi go? He went to the gate of the city. Why are these le lepers mentioned specifically? There's four of them. It's interesting. Gehazi had three sons. It is believed that the four lepers were Gehazi and his three sons. And this is what they said. They said, look, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go in, maybe they'll have mercy. And if they don't, we're going to die anyway. So we might as well get up and go do something. It's almost like there's something churning in the heart of Gehazi. He's saying, hey, I made some mistakes. I might as well do something about it. And he gets up 
And when they start to walk outside, the scripture said that the Syrian army got up and they fled and they scattered. As the morning sun was coming up, they scattered and they left all their stuff behind. Now listen to what happened. It's a great, great miracle. God opens the door for his people and the Syrians left the spoil behind. But I want to show you something that's the most powerful thing of this story that I've never seen and I've never preached until today. If it is true that it's Gehazi and his three sons that are the lepers in this story, Gehazi's number one problem was greed. And when he walked into the first tent, read it for yourself. I'm going to read it to you so you don't think I'm lying to you. He said that when, when they walked in, when they walked in, it said that they went into the first tent and they saw that there was food in there, so they, they started eating. Verse 8, they went to one tent, they ate and drank, carried thence uh, silver and gold raiment, went and hid it and came again, entered to another tent, carried there also, and, and, and they went and they hid it. This is another indicator that this is Gehazi's full of greed. He's a leper. What's he going to do with it? You understand what I'm saying? So he takes it and he hides it. Verse 9, then said they one to another. Here comes the breaks. This isn't right. I've fallen in this before. They said this is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. He said, therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. And they went to the king's security guard that was standing out here. And they said, sir, we want you to know. Everything that was against us last night. It's gone. And this man. More, I, we, we don't know for sure, but he's more than likely could have been the same one because he was standing close to the king. I, I had to wonder today and study if this was the same servant that was standing with Elisha when Elisha said, by this time tomorrow. And when these four lepers walk up, you already know they had to talk about this among one another. Well, that old prophet said, by this time tomorrow, by this time tomorrow, four lepers walk up and tell the guard, everything that was against us last night, it's gone. They're out of here. They're gone. He goes to the king. The king said, no way. It's a setup. Man, I wish I could preach this. If this was Sunday night, I'd have you on your head right now. Listen to what I'm telling you. It was so good. The miracle was so amazing that the king said, there's no way. It can't be this good. They got to be setting us up. As soon as we go to get it, they're going to jump on us and they're going to kill us. He said, we're going to test the waters. I love it. The enemy tells us, we don't test nothing when the devil tells us. When God gives us a miracle, we're like, I'm going to, I'm going to be sure this is of God. He walks out. He sends his men out there on their horses. They go, and they're like, nope, on the way. They, listen, that's what your Bible said in the King James Version. It said as they start on the way, they, saw, they could tell they ran out of town. The Syrians had flung off their clothes and dropped their silver. They ran out of their tent, took off everything they had that was weighing them down, and said we're leaving it behind. I'm telling you right now that there will be some spoil that God is going to leave behind for his children before his coming. 
There's going to be some spoil that God's going to leave behind. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying don't lose hope. Don't you get despondent. Don't you get all messed up. And don't you be deceived. God will not allow us to die in our dilemma. I'm telling you, I feel like speaking this with prophetic unction on me tonight. That help is on the way. That God is not going to leave us stranded. God is not going to leave us stranded. If God leaves us stranded, then his word is not true. And I still believe the righteous will never be forsaken and his seed will never beg bread. I'm, I'm finishing. I'm, I'm almost done. Oh. They had to go for a season where they got desperate and the Lord see how they react. What are you going to do when the enemy's around you? And we found out the thing not to do is to devour your children. Listen, don't let dark times devour your kids. Man, I wish I had three hours. I said, don't let dark seasons devour your children. Our kids should not be sacrificed in dark times. Every chance you get, get them in the house of God. Get them here early for the Sunday school class. Be sure, they're, be sure they're here for children's church every Sunday. Be sure they're in the house of God. All right, I'm bringing it back around. I want to tell you that in the middle of the miracle, it's so powerful, great miracle. Thank God for it. But if it's true that these four lepers were Gehazi and his three sons, I want to show you something that I saw in the middle of the miracle today. I saw mercy like I've never seen it ever in this chapter. It's amazing how God's mercy just leaps out in the middle of things. In the middle of this miracle, we have no clue after this what happens to Gehazi. You don't know how he died. You don't know anything. Don't know if he died. Don't know anything. But if this is him, it's amazing because it was the sin of greed that got him in his predicament. But God did a great miracle. And he allowed Gehazi to walk with his sons. His sin was on his sons. And his sons walked in him, with him into this tent. They went on to the second one and said, oh, this feels good. And you know, they're high-fiving, fist-bumping. Oh, this is awesome, man. Look what dad's found. Look at this. Look, what, look at all this. You get in the second tent and one of them says, it's not right. You know what I believe? I believe in the middle of the miracle. I personally believe, and I'm not basing any kind of new birth doctrine on this, okay? So don't, don't go jumping through loops. I personally believe that this was Gehazi. I believe this was his three sons. And I believe that in the middle of a miracle, God gave him a chance for true teshuva repentance. I believe that God extended mercy in the middle of this miracle. And said, Gehazi, I'm going to let you repent and turn your heart back to righteousness. Everybody's going to rejoice about the miracle of the food that you're about to leave behind. He said, but you just had a victory in your life today, son. When you realize this was the day that I brought my nation out, I, I, I delivered them, I caused their enemy to flee. God arose and his enemies were scattered. But there was a small victory that was won that day that was never recorded. That in the middle of the miracle, there was mercy for repentance. 
I'm telling you tonight, church, that the dark seasons we go through in life are not to make us weak, but they are to expose the weaknesses that we have. And God's going to let us pass through the fire to see whether or not we've had a change in our heart. Because the closer we get to deliverance, and hear me, I'm finished, I'm done. But the closer we get to sweet deliverance, the closer to his heart we have to be. If our hearts are not right at the coming of the Lord, I've wondered how long Gehazi lived after that moment, but I believe there was such a change in his heart that it didn't matter if it was for another day or for 10 more years. When we saw the thing that had ate him alive, God gave him mercy. And he truly repented before God. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for somebody in this house tonight to tell you, I believe we're going to see great, great miracles. But in the middle of these miracles, we're going to see mercy extended like we've never seen before. We're about to see repentance on a fashion. I'm, I'm not talking about a confessional prayer. God, that's killed us. I repented. What did you do? I told God I was sorry. That's not repentance. God is leading his church to true repentance. He's wiping things off of us, cleaning things off of us, getting us ready for his coming. When he comes back, he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Are you hear what I'm telling you tonight? There is mercy in the middle of the miracle, and the mercy is time for repentance. God, let our hearts be ready tonight. Let's stand together. Oh. Oh, what a miracle. God turned it over. God gave him the spoil. And God spared a man's life. So you have to wonder which was the greatest miracle. The one that's recorded for the whole world to see that made the headline of the Jerusalem Post? Or the one that changed the record in the Lamb's Book of Life and said, you know, he may not get a double portion, but he overcame his flesh. I want us to just extend our hearts and our hands towards heaven tonight. If you feel led to step out, you're more than welcome to. But I'm asking God to baptize us fresh and new with a baptism of repentance in this hour. Like we have never seen. God, show me my ways. Show me, show me your heart and let me line up with your heart. God, of all the miracles that will be seen in this church, through this church, and by the ministries of this church and these great people, I thank you for showing us mercy. Thank you for the miracle of mercy. Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's godly sorrow that works repentance. Let there be that moment in our heart tonight where we stop and check our spirits and say, Okay, God, if this is what got me into this mess in the first place, let me turn my heart towards you. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Come on, would you just reach out to him tonight. Lord, I want to be right. I want my heart to be right. Lord, if I put you on the back burner, if I put you second place. If, God, I want to be right. I want to be right. This is not just a message for the world. I'm telling you, it's a message for the church. The church has got to get our hearts ready. It's one thing to rejoice over God arising and his enemies being scattered. 
It's another thing to rejoice that he changed my story and he turned me around. He placed my feet on the solid rock. I'm thankful for mercy tonight.